Welcome to Growing Our Financial Advisor Back to Space Now Projections, episode 52. I'm your host, Pavel Bramensky, and my goal is to interview experts to provide you with insights, strategies, and actionable tactics that you can start applying to grow your financial advisory practice today. For more information and additional content, head over to snapprojections.com slash podcast. Now, let me introduce today's guest. Today's guest is Martin Pelletier. Martin is a Portfolio Manager, Managing Director at TriVest Wealth Council, a division of Wellington Altos Private Wealth. Wellington Altos is a 10 billion independent wealth manager with offices across Canada, a cross-border financial planning service, and a USRIA. Martin has extensive investment industry experience, including senior roles in capital markets, private banking, venture capital, wealth management, and family office and multifamily office. He's regularly featured in the media and is a weekly contributor to the Financial Post investment cross-section. He's a member of Thomson Reuters Canada's Top 40 Social Influencers in Finance, Innovation, Risk 2017, a Top 10 finalist for BlackRock Award of Canadian Portfolio Discretionary Manager of the Year in 2018, and recently named a Well Professional Canada Magazine's leading portfolio manager. Martin holds a Bachelor of Commerce degree with a specialization in finance from the University of Alberta and studied international finance at Orebro University in Sweden and is a chartered financial analyst CFA holder. Martin believes in the power of positive innovative change having lived in Canada's first eco-community. He and his family are very active in DH mountain biking and freestyle skiing. They're also passionate about mental health awareness initiatives focused on youth impacted by ADHD and dyslexia. Martin, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me, pal. And and actually, you did say it right, Urabro, very well. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. That's that's awesome. I haven't actually made uh, to Sweden myself yet. I think I've been to Finland. So it's uh, yeah, it's, I, I like the I like the names. <laughs> Martin, I'm super excited to have you on. I was getting really excited for this interview. So let's jump uh, right in. So I yeah, told uh, already disclosed where we are with, but tell me a little bit about your firm in your own words. What do you do, and who do you serve? So we started the firm in about the, the depths of the financial crisis. We found there was a big need for risk management in the wealth management industry. And so we started partnering with a former client of mine who was a partner at a number of different buy side firms, including Moore, for example, here in Calgary. And then we started the firm in 2010 like most other firms did with on the on the buy side with uh, product manufacturing and then transitioned our firm more towards a direct holistic client experience and and then you know so it's been a, it's been a pretty busy busy decade lots of things that have happened <laughs> over the last 10 years that have caused us to adapt but uh, more recently we merged into the Wellington Altus family and that's we're quite excited about the prospects of what lies ahead with that yeah it's uh, it's a great firm from what I'm hearing and we've had previous advisors from the firm at the podcast so that's great so if can you share a little bit more maybe just whatever is you're comfortable in terms of just number of staff number of clients maybe average clients just in your own practice this is just for the context for the listeners. Yeah, absolutely. So we're a smaller practice in regards to number of clients, but our asset size is bigger. So uh, we service currently service approximately 50 family households, and uh, our families have assets under management ranging from a million to $20 million. Our largest uh, family would have a net worth of, of $500 million, and we're advising a portion of their public investments in addition to overseeing a little bit of the privates as well, too. 
And so we really take that that high net worth and ultra high net worth family office practice quite seriously as to providing a planning led solution and working with all of their advisors, including you know bookkeeping, insurance, accounting, and legal. That's fantastic, and thank you for sharing the stats because I mean that's that gives listeners a certain context, right? Fifty, fifty-five clients, and a pretty significant size of clients. So this is this is going to be really interesting. So before we get to any further, tell me also why does this business exist for you? Just why does this work matter? Why you basically you know became a financial advisor in the first place? If you can take us to the back to your early days, that would be great. Yeah, so I always had a passion for investing. I started investing in public markets as a teenager. Now that was a, a while back in the in the late 80s. I actually uh I believe I was the youngest person to do the Canadian Securities course in Alberta at the time. Wow. And so I really had a passion of of investing in markets and investing in companies. And then I went to university, uh, traveled in international uh, uh, finance and business, and in, actually, and in my career took me towards the iBanking world in capital markets. And so I started off as a as an associate, and then moved into a senior research analyst role, advising pension plans institutions globally on what to buy and sell in the Canadian uh, Canadian and and international energy market. And then in July of two thousand and eight. I was uh, wanted to get off the treadmill, so coincidentally, I I left that business ahead uh, of the financial crisis and uh, wow. and used that period to to think about what I wanted to do. So that's why I don't have as much gray hair and and have a little bit more hair than others in the industry because I was in the sidelines when that whole mess came down. You timed as well. Well, it's always better to be lucky than smart. <laughs> it's one thing I've learned. And so I said, okay, I've learned a lot in regards to analytics and analyzing companies, analyzing markets. How can I take that to investing in itself? And so I made a I came full circle back to where I was when I was a teenager. And I said, I really want to, my passion is, is really working with individuals and, and organizations to help manage their portfolios directly instead of just providing advice and what to, to buy and sell in the sector, but actually being a discretionary portfolio manager. And so I partnered with Craig and co-founded Trivest in late 2009, early 2010, and haven't looked back since. Excellent. Okay. This is really interesting. So so let's start talking a little bit more about your process. I mean, you mentioned financial planning first, really focus on financial planning first. And you know, so let's talk about, you know, how do you approach advising and serving your clients? You serve a very specific client type, I would say. So so let's let's break this down. Okay. So I'm I'm glad you're asking this because this is the future of the wealth management industry globally. And you can see this happening in the US. Uh, the US is probably about a decade ahead of us in regards to the evolution of the wealth management industry, whereas in Canada, we're significantly lagging behind. We think that's primarily because you have the, the Canadian banks in an oligopoly structure. And when you have an oligopoly, you put up uh, moats to prevent innovation and disruption. And whereas in the US, you had, an evo- uh, you had a lot of advisors leave the wirehouses following the financial crisis and go independent through the RIA channel. And what they're doing in the U.S. is very planning-centric. And so with ETFs coming out, it's democratized the investment industry and commoditized it. What I mean by that is all of a sudden exclusivity is no longer the case. Investors can get access to all kinds of strategies that they want at one time weren't able to get access to and at a significant discount. 
And so that's a good thing for investors from that standpoint. But in, in regards to the offering that advisors have to provide to the client for the fees that they're, that they're doing, you have to demonstrate some additional value because otherwise these investors could just do it themselves. And so what they've done in the U.S. is with the independent RIAs, registered investment advisors, is they bring a holistic planning-led solution to these clients. So they lead with financial planning, um, really understanding the needs of the individual clients, and it's something called goals-based benchmarking. And what I mean by that is each individual family or investor has a goal that they want to achieve. It could be retiring in five years. It could be traveling, spending this much this much money in, in, in traveling, working part-time, you know, volunteering, all kinds of different goals that will be independent to each person. And then once those goals are flushed out, a cash flow statement is, is derived and a capital asset forecast, and then a target return. And that target return in context of the market is then then used to design a portfolio and construction of that portfolio and to mitigate the risk. So for example, a client may need 5% rate of return to achieve a certain lifestyle requirement in retirement in five years that will help them do that. Then you design the portfolio at the very back end once you flushed out all of those independent lifestyle requirements and map that out. Then you design a portfolio to to target a five percent rate of return and minimize the risk as much as possible to to, to do in doing so. So you you're kind of removed from the market. You're not trying to beat the market. You're not trying to beat everybody else. You're just designed your own plan and your own target return and your own portfolio and that customization. And then managing the risk around that with the volatility in the markets. That's the value proposition that is being done and being offered. And clients are willing to pay for that. Makes absolute sense. So goal-based benchmarking. So the benchmark is not really an index or where it's S&P or TSX, but it's basically, it's based on their goals and therefore there's target return. Have you ever got any pushback from clients that, because especially when it, when it gets to high net worth clients, I mean, they, they want to make sure that you basically pretty much squeeze as much as, as possible in terms of the investment performance. Have you gotten any pushback on the benchmarking or, or that conversation is kind of flowing very smoothly, right? Because we really focus on their needs first. I'm just curious. We have ne- we have never had a problem with that, and if I mean this is based on the nature of the clients that we have and the clients that we're bringing on board. So it's a mutual. We go through an interview process to see if there's a fit for us and a fit for those clients. For those do it themselves or those trying to uh, upperform the market, or trying to generate returns in excess of the market. And trying to beat others, we just don't think there's there'd be a fit for what what we're doing. What we do is we we use all tools available to help a client achieve that specific target or goal. And so you know we're agnostic. We'll use passive ETFs. We'll use active managers in areas of the market that are inefficient. We'll look at alternative strategies, and we'll even look at some privates as well too. We'll use whatever is available in that toolbox to help that client achieve that that goal and minimize their risk in doing so. And the beautiful thing about what's happening with the disruption in the wealth management industry is the cost of those investment products 
and invest uh, is falling dramatically. And so now, I mean, you got Vanguard uh, in active management with access to, you know, world-class managers like Wellington for 50 basis points. At one time, you know, you're paying 200 basis points. Vanguard, I read, is also getting into the private equity market. And so, you know, into the alternative space. And so you're going to see, you know, those fees that were 200 basis points plus performance fee get cut dramatically. So, you know, we use all of those tools available. Now, I mean, the traditional model of, um, and this is where I think advisors, there's a, a misconception as to what their role is. We cannot predict the future. We cannot predict what's going to happen in the next six to 12 months. It's impossible. It's a mugs game. And so if we try and do that, we're going to end up taking excessive risk with your portfolio and the client's going to end up losing. So those clients who are looking for that for that direction and some sort of forecasting and, and trying to beat the market, that's not the clients that, that is right for us and our firm. Makes sense. It's uh, just simply not a fit. Okay. So question of coming back to your clients, because you know the, the range of you know one to 20 million, that's, that's a pretty wide range. So because clients that typically, I mean, maybe, you know, one million, two million, they would probably have slightly different needs than clients, you know, yeah. 10 to 20 million. So can you talk about the distinction when it comes to when you get to, you know, 10 plus million, like how, you know, does the value proposition really change? Do you provide any specific other additional services on top of it, maybe other value services on top of it, your just regular you know, services that you would tailor to more to, I would say, small clients on the just lower end? Talk to me about that. Yeah, so the larger, I mean, the more assets you have, the more you can look into into some unique types of investment products into your portfolio. So, for example, a client with $20 million can add a portion of their portfolio into private equity, whereas if you have a million dollars, it may not make as much sense because just by the weightings that we look at. So, so for example, if you have a, a 10% weighting in, in private equity, that's a that's a hundred thousand dollars. That's a big weighting for a client with a million dollars. And so, you typically would have access to those kinds of of products. Having said that, you know there is obviously going to be more customization and more work that's going to have to be done with an ultra high net worth client because the sophistication of their profile definitely warrants it. So you may have a, a C-suite executive with an option compensation programmer, or you know we have one client that was you know working in the UK and, and had had assets in, in currency. We have you know some clients with cross-border businesses or multiple holding companies. And so the planning and, and, and sophistication with that planning is is going to be more in-depth for those ultra-high net worth. And for the high net worth, clients with a million dollars or one to five million dollars, you can still get a pretty well-diversified portfolio without getting into the complexities of an ultra-high net worth portfolio. And you can achieve the same kinds of, of goals and, and, and objectives with a portfolio of that size, it's just going to look a little bit different. That makes sense. Thanks for explaining that. So maybe one uh, one other question about just the U.S. versus Canada, because as, as you started through, you mentioned that basically Canada is a little bit, you know, old behind, let's say a decade behind. That's that's maybe not a little bit, but anything else that you see maybe on a regulatory framework that I would say may cause an impact in Canada, but we, we haven't seen this yet here. But, you know, based on what, uh, what you're seeing in the U.S., maybe other jurisdictions, you know, U.K., maybe Australia, is there something that you see that on the horizon that may impact the regulation or, or some of the regulations maybe that are some already basically in place or have been proposed, but maybe haven't been you know, put in law? 
Well, in Canada, it's a little bit of, of, of a different story, and it's going to be hard to compare to other jurisdictions, primarily because we have multiple regulatory authorities. So you have the IROC, a self-regulatory authority, that is doing a good job of regulating bank-owned dealers, okay, and 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 some non uh, non-bank owned, like for example, Wellington has an IROC, a very large IROC division, and and doing a good job within that in itself. You have the Mutual Fund Dealers Association, and then you have the investment counselors like Craig and I and Trivest. That is now a division of Wellington, and so what makes Wellington very interesting is that um, now I think there may be even be the first. I mean, don't quote me on this. Well, I guess it's a podcast, so you can. <laughs> but in regards to you know, they have a, a very large IROC division now. They ha- they're using uh, Trivest as a partner in Beachhead to consolidate in the investment counseling space. And investment counseling is very similar to the U.S. RIA model in in, in the U.S. because we have a fiduciary duty to the client, a legal fiduciary duty, like an accountant or a lawyer. And so that fiduciary standard, in order to be an investment counselor, you have to adhere to that fiduciary standard. And so I think the trend is going to go, is moving towards advisors having a fiduciary relationship with with the client. Clients are, are wanting to have that that duty to the to themselves. And so I think that's one trend that's going to accelerate within within Canada, and that's why you know firms like like Wellington, for example, is positioning in in that space so that they can capture advisors wanting to move to that fiduciary relationship with the client. Makes sense. So let's talk about your clients for a little bit, and, and maybe just even client acquisition model, because I, I would just expect that uh, you know for somebody dealing with clients, maybe between let's say five hundred thousand to one million, their acquisition method of clients is going to be different. And for example, for yeah. you, so. Because, you know, you may end yeah. up, yeah. your needs may be, let's just acquire one client a year, right? So how do you think about the client acquisition you know, process and strategy? Yeah, how, do you, how do you think about it? And, and how do you acquire clients at this point? Okay, so it's all about building relationships. Number one reason why someone's going to decide to go with you is trust. Because, I mean, it, it, you can tell them all the wonderful things about your investment process, you know, your your planning, all of these services that you're doing, but it all ultimately comes down to trusting you with managing your family affairs and your wealth. And so that just takes time and it takes time to build those relationships. And so, you know, we make sure that we spend time getting to know our our potential clients and, and seeing if they're a good fit with us and our services and building that trust. And so my number one advice to even any advisor starting out is you got to be patient and, you, and it's going to take some time. Don't try and go for a sale. Try and, try and actually see if you really enjoy working with that person, getting to know them, getting to know their family. And, and if it's you know, someone you'd, you'd love to you know, hang out socially and go for dinner with and, and really get an understanding of what they're trying to do and, and passionately you know, and, and showing it in your actions that you want to help them get to where they want to get to. And so that just takes a little bit of time. Now, in regards to attracting clients initially, there's a number of different ways you can do that. Uh, One thing that's happening in the U.S. is very interesting is the growth of social media. It is regulated very much so with the banks, but outside of the banks, there's a little more leeway, like, for example, with our firm. And so, you know, being active in, in providing good quality content to clients or potential clients is very important. So not trying to say, hey, come do, come do business with us because of this reason, but saying, hey, you know, the, the, if you're doing, you know, this from an investment standpoint, here's some tips that you want to look at. 
You know, some people say, well, you're giving away your secret sauce. Well, not really, because, you know, a client who wants to deal with you isn't going to, you know, try and replicate what you're, you're doing themselves, but you're going to want somebody else to do it for them. So by presenting good quality content and context, I think that's a great way of, of marketing and creating clients. And the beautiful thing about social media is, I mean, I write for the post every week, but with social media, you don't need to be on a, a publication for or a columnist. You can provide good quality content yourself, um, obviously to meet, I mean, meeting compliance and regulatory requirements as well. But I mean, if you want to invest some time in writing, there's, uh, there's no better time than now. Excellent. So I really like that. And by the way, I've read a number of your articles on the post, and and I like them because they're just they they really focus on the quality of of the of the content. There's there's no fluff. It's just you get in a very simple terms to explain some of the some of the either risks or issues or ideas, and they're pretty short, so they're easy to consume. So. So that's that's really good. One actually, one question about the about post, and it's not from the client's acquisition uh, perspective, but you you've been a long term contributor to uh, not just post, but just uh, you've uh, other media posts, but specifically in in terms of when when it comes to writing, what have you learned from from writing geared towards general public? Well, you have to be topical, and you have to be aware of of what's happening around you at that time, and in order to grab attention. Unfortunately, in in today's world. The more exciting the story, the more it's going to grab headline attention, and, and it's and it's going to get read. Whereas maybe some of the more important aspects that may not be topical uh, get looked over, and so it's important to understand what's happening and and writing in context of what's happening, but sneaking in, you know, tucking in those areas that may not you know be as exciting but are very important to the client. So, for example, using a third party custodian or, or or other aspects, you know, managing risk in in context of new issues that are being put forward. And so identifying uh, those areas of, of investing or wealth management that are really important to the client and tying it back into some sort of excitement or some sort of story that's topical to the current times. I mean, that, that's key. And that's, I think that's pretty important. That's really good. So it's, uh, thank you for breaking this down. Okay, so let me summarize. So yeah. uh, let's talk about trust. And of course, you got to be patient, you got to be able to trust and you know, great quality content. And you can use social media to additionally promote your content and, and build more awareness. So was this your recipe for success? What made you successful in, in building your practice so far, you think? There's a great book by James Clear called Atomic Habits. And if you really want to impose change, you have to think big and build small. And so what I mean by that is make uh, daily habits or a routine within your day that are going to build up over time. And so, you know, they will compound and, and then you'll get results. So what I mean by that is writing, for example. I wasn't the most prolific writer, but, I mean, I write at least a thousand words a week and I get better at it. By, by by doing it. Public speaking. I started off, I was terrible, and I'm, I think I'm getting a little bit better, but just doing more and more of it and practicing. And so even though I, I'm about to go on stage, or I'm still practicing extensively before I do so. And so making something part of your routine and making it a positive habit, it will you know pay dividends. That's a great piece of advice. And I haven't actually read the book, but uh, I've uh, made a note here. So I mean... <laughs> I may take a look at this right after the interview. That's the other thing, too, is I really recommend reading things that are going to challenge you to think differently. Read, I mean, there's, I'm a prolific reader. I love books that are challenging the way I think. 
and challenging the, the, to say, hey, look, maybe I'm looking at this wrong. And if I am, what can I do? And so, you know, make sure that you seek out those sources of data and whether it's through a book or through articles that are challenging your current thought process. They're saying, okay, you know, there's a different way of looking at this. And so I think that's also equally important. Thanks for adding that. That's that's uh, great advice. So let's talk about a little bit of the fees and just how you work with clients. So how clients typically compensate you for your services? What 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 is your pricing model right now? So we operate under the fiduciary model as a discretionary portfolio manager. So we charge on the assets being managed, and so we have a tiered schedule. So the larger the assets being managed, the the lower the fees. And I think that's fair because obviously if you have a, well, you know, that said, I mean, there's more work involved with an ultra high net worth family than a high net worth family. But, you know, keeping the same fee schedule for a $10 million account versus $1 million account is not fair to, to the client. And so, you know, we, we do charge on a tiered schedule. And, and, and having, you know, this is one of the most important things if you're interviewing a manager is, or an advisor is to, make, is to ask them how many clients do they have. Not necessarily AUM or assets under management, but how many clients do they have? And, you know, my partner and I, there's, we service 50 clients. There's two of us. We could easily double that to 100 clients and do a really good job. And, and that's part of the reason why we're uh, merged into Wellington is because we're, we're in full growth mode and we're looking on uh, taking on some new clients. But, you know, if you're an advisor with 500 clients, how are you going to be able to service all of those clients, right? And so, you know, fees are important, but, you know, what are you getting for those fees and how are they going to be able to service you? I mean, if you're going to be paying, you know, 1.5% on your account, and, and, and which we charge less than that, but if you are, for example, and you don't even see your advisor maybe once every two years or so, you just, I mean, what's the value of that proposition? And so I think that's probably the most important aspect when you're looking for, uh, for an advisor. Absolutely. And that's going to really change the nature of the practice because uh, I, I think the number that basically comes up in the conversations with, with advisors is I think the number is for one advisor, just about 100 clients, right? You can still do a good job if there's one advisor. But if you move beyond that, then it's hard. And of course, we've had guests with a lot more clients, but their model is different, right? They're just not doing the work that you're doing. Maybe they're just they're structuring things a little bit differently. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, so I agree. I mean, I, I don't want to make a blanket statement. There are some mutual fund dealers and and others that can onboard larger amount of clients, and that's where technology gets to be very important. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if you've got a two hundred fifty thousand, five hundred thousand. People need to be serviced and, and serviced and done properly. I'm just talking about the high net worth space, but right. there is technology and really good technology applications that you know where they'll bring a, a robo platform in house and they'll do the asset allocation and, and so you can get a good you can get that done with uh, with a higher client count. But if you're uh, if you need some more sophistication in your planning, for example, then that's where the client count really does matter. Absolutely. And I totally understand that you're speaking on high network space. I was actually thinking even about fee-for-service, right, which traditionally has been really very limited because planning doesn't scale as much as investment management. And it just takes, you know, yeah. it just really takes a lot of time. But we've seen advisors just doing a really good job with, with scaling up to a very you know, surprising large amount of clients with fee-for-service planning and keeping a very high level of satisfaction of their clients as well. It's a different practice, though. But again, I mean, there, there are many different segments. Yeah, and so we do a little bit of both. So for example, if a client... So we put the investments at the very back end of our process. So we start with a discovery process with the client, and then we do a, a, a thorough plan. And it's not just your standard 
plan that you get from the banks. And, and we do use uh, your services and you and uh, and Snaps done a really good job for for some of our clients. And thank you. And and so you know we'll we'll <laughs> and so we'll we'll use that and then put the investments. We'll tie the investments into it from a goals based standpoint and show our process. So I think it's very important to tie the two together. But if a client doesn't want to do the investment process at the back end to help achieve their goal, then we'll just charge up front for the plan. So that's a fee for service per se. So I mean, we offer offer that. And, and you know, our planning group out of uh, Winnipeg with Wellington is, is is outstanding. We probably have the top, one of the top cross-border financial and tax planners in, in the country working in-house for us. And I think having that is is going to be very important especially for both of the uh, portfolio manager investment council portfolio managers who haven't embraced financial planning or the ROC advisor who haven't embraced financial planning you better start thinking about it you better start adding it into your practice otherwise you're going to get left behind absolutely and true words for sure and so there's a couple of things here that you said so i want to just from your perspective of the market because i mean you have such a broad perspective of the market and, and i mean you started in this industry at a young age so you know where are we headed with the investment management i mean where do you think do you think we're just going to just progressively get lower and lower and, and add layers of technology for advisors to be basically more operationally efficient, or is there basically there is a point that we were, we're going to stop because because what have been happening, especially I think over the last five or you know, maybe longer years in Canada. I mean, we're we're seeing that the investment fees have been largely commoditized, right? So, what, what's your take on that? I know you don't have a crystal ball, <laughs> maybe you do, but I just want to ask you this question. No, I mean that's a really good question, and I'm I'm always asking myself what direction the industry is going and how are we positioned. I wish that we had repositioned ourselves. You know, we did it two and a half years ago on the planning-led process. I wish we did it five years earlier. But having said that, um, we're a lot more quicker to to look at ways to adapt our firm. And so in regards to what's happening in the industry and the future of the industry, if you're an advisor that is, you know, picking stocks and and marketing your services by picking Bell over Tellers or vice versa, you're in trouble. That is not the future of this business. The future of this business is helping clients achieve what they want to, what they're trying to achieve. And what I mean by that is take a look at and, and even looking at robo advisors and, and and others along the along those lines. People, the level of complexity involved in regards to the, the number of investment products available is growing rapidly. We have so many ETFs out there, and we still have a number of active managers. Investors don't know where to begin. And so, for example, if you take a look at the great, the great analogy is looking at the travel space. So we've had Expedia. We have all of these all of these services that have been offered. And looking at, at other industries is a great way to analyze your own industry. And so if you take a look at these, these travel sites, all of a sudden you say you're, you know, you're spending so much time trying to reschedule and do your own bookings to save a couple of dollars that it can be very, very frustrating. And so, you know, it hasn't actually put travel agencies out of business. It actually is, a, these services are a good tool for these travel agencies to do that work on behalf of the end client. And I think the same applies to to the wealth management industry. There's a lot of good software tools and good asset management tools, good allocator tools, that are going to be, you know, more used by advisors instead of direct clients. 
when the, and the direct clients are going to trust you to, you know, help them design their portfolio and meet their goals and objectives instead of them trying to do it themselves. Time is the is the biggest asset in any industry, and it's only become more and more valuable. And technology is taking time away from us and our personal lives. And and so I think the trend is going to be for families to try and get that personal time back and allowing advisors to use that technology instead of them them directly to free up that time. So if you can reposition your practice to to providing that time allocation back to the to that to that client and and helping them get what they want to get to, then they'll pay the fees and and they're willing to pay for those services. So I think that holistic approach is going to be the trend of the future. Absolutely. So do you think either Google or Amazon or, you know, or maybe even Facebook, they will get into money management game anytime soon? Oh, I don't think so. Maybe they get into the software or, or maybe like, you know, uh, Google does a good job on, on Office and, and same with Microsoft. Like maybe they'll get into the, the services for, for advisors. I'm not, I'm not, I haven't seen anything like that so far. There have been independents like InvestNet in the U.S., for example, and, and others. But those are going to be tools for the advisor, not for the end client. The end client is still going to want to deal with an advisor face-to-face. Absolutely. That, that is not going to change. And, and it makes sense. I mean, we have a client that, does, that owns a number of, of insurance, so property insurance, auto insurance. And auto insurance and, and your, your home insurance is very complex. And if you don't hit the right box and you have a claim – you could be out tens of thousands of dollars. Whereas if, and, and so the do it yourself in that sector ain't going to happen. And so having an advisor that you trust, knowing, you know, they, they ask you all the questions and then they hit the boxes in your behalf. So when there's a claim, you're taken care of. And so, you know, the same thing with your portfolio. You're not going to see uh, the value of your advisor until actually there's a market correction. And when there is, you can say, wow, this is good. Now I've got somebody I can call and help, you know, navigate this this situation that we're going through. How does it impact my goals? How does it impact? So, you know, that's where I think the industry, the technology is going to only get better. But that means it's going to be that much better for advisors and, and that much more efficient for advisors. And then they can pass that along directly to the client. That makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. So when you're looking at your practice, like what was what were some of the most difficult aspects of building the business and challenges for for you? Was this more related to just client acquisition at the beginning? I mean, you've timed the market perfectly well, which just in 2008, <laughs> right? So, so, so that's that's great. But what what were some challenges? I'm just curious. Okay, so the, one of the biggest challenges was the I have three areas of well, I have four areas of my time. I have my family time, which is my, I personally view it to be my highest ROI, turn on investment. Um, putting that aside, I have portfolio management time. I have client interaction time. Then I have all the back office admin time. Okay. The back office admin is the lowest ROI and the client, direct client time has the highest ROI time along with portfolio management. The biggest challenge has been over the last five to 10 years the rapid growth in admin compliance requirements, okay? That's taking up more and more time. And that means I had to take that time away from either my client's interaction, my portfolio management, or my family. Now, I I can't, you know, our clients are very important. Portfolio management is very important. So that means taking time away from my family. That means working more hours to, to do the same thing, okay? And so... 
what I mean by that is if you're under a billion dollars in assets as an independent, it's only going to get worse for you. You need to scale up to at least a billion dollars, a billion is a new hundred million in assets as an independent manager. And the reason being is because you need economies of scale to outsource, or not outsource, but to remove all of that admin compliance work. Okay. And so that's why one of the primary reasons why we merged into the Wellington Altus family is because they're going to take away a significant portion of our admin and compliance, allowing us to have more time with our existing clients more time on portfolio management, and more time on acquiring uh, new clients and growing our firm. And so I wish we did this sooner, but it's better you know, better late than, than never. And that was a challenge. And I think that's going to be a, a, biggest, a bigger challenge for a number of firms who are you know, under a billion dollars. Right. So this is a really important point right now that you've made, right? Because it, it's, I mean, the game is the game is constantly being changed pretty much every single day, right? We don't see this, you know, every single day, but but as you said, I mean, time is the, the most important asset. Yeah. So with more admin, with more compliance, do you see there is going to be more consolidation later on, for example, down the road in, in the industry and among the independents, right? Is, is this what you're seeing right now? Well, in Wellington, you know, they've on the IROC advisor channel, they've been able to attract advisors leaving the bank-owned dealers, and they've gone from, you know, two a billion to ten billion dollars in two and a half, three years here. And and so, you know, they've they've been implementing that consolidation and the independent model very successfully among the bank owned advisors. On the investment counseling side, I'm going to be playing a role in addition to managing Trivest uh, and the investment counseling side. But you know, I'm going to you know be playing a role in regards to bringing in additional investment counselors who are facing many of the same challenges that we were facing, and demonstrating by you know eating my own cooking and and saying, hey, look, we're able, we're gonna, we can scale our practice significantly under this new model. You can as well. So, you know, let's take one plus one and equal four instead of you chugging away and spending more time away from your family just to keep your practice flat or maybe or some a little bit of, of market growth or, or a little bit of organic growth. If you really are interested in growing your practice, here's a model to do so. And so I think there's an opportunity to consolidate absolutely in the investment counseling space. And that represents, you know, $250 billion in assets in Canada. I may not seem big when you compare to the U.S., but it's very fractured. And I would love to see that space transform itself into a $500 billion independent Canadian RIA model, not unlike the U.S. And so we're at the forefront of doing that ourselves with Wellington. Well, I hope it happens. Or as part of Wellington. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I hope it happens because it's, uh, you know, the independent side, at least my view, just personal view, it's just so important to, to the health of, of the financial service industry. Yeah. So that's that's great. Yeah, and we have a, and we have a model that allows an investment uh-huh. counselor to still own their practice and still own their, their clients. And, but under the Wellington model, where it removes a lot of the time challenges. And so... You know, that that's I think you can have your cake and eat it too by, you know, owning your practice and and being able to scale it out. So awesome. So lots of uh, lots of interesting changes and exciting projects for you. I just disclose some of some of us right now. Just a couple of questions before we wrap up here. Is there anything else that's exciting for you? It sounds like your time is well allocated to exciting projects, but is there anything else <laughs> that's your uh, thinking about working over the next, you know, six, twelve months? Well, you know, I mean, you read my bio. I, I do have attention deficit, so um, it's important. There's a lot of things that get me excited. 
and, and a lot of shiny objects out there, but I had some very important for, for us to stay focused on executing and delivering that, that RIA financial planning goals-based benchmarking approach to our existing and new clients. We really are focused entirely on, on that and trying to grow our existing practice by, by, you know, bringing that model out to, to new clients and, you know, finding uh, other firms that want to join us in that, in that same goal and that same objective to, to helping, I call it helping clients and helping advisors identify their why. What is their why? What are they trying to achieve? And then we help them achieve their why by putting together a plan. And so, you know, if you look at one of the, when I was an analyst, I looked at, when I looked at companies, I always looked at um, whether they were a price taker or whether they were a service provider that was very unique. And so if you look at Apple, for example, their why is the challenge of status quo. Their why isn't making computers or making cell phones. Their why is the challenge of status quo. And that's our why. Our why is the challenge of status quo within Canada because we can do so much better for clients. Fees are too high. There isn't a lot of financial planning done. And investments are way over-concentrated in Canada and they're not diversified enough. And so by focusing on those areas of, of a service offering, I think we can make wealth management a much better process and get better results for Canadians, not unlike what's happening south of the border. That's a great pitch <laughs> and a great solution sounds like you have in place. So, so Martin, this podcast is all about growing our practice. So you've shared a lot of wisdom so far for our listeners. Is there anything else that you want to leave us with? Just one thing. Yes. Don't get comfortable. You know, the complacency is a killer more than ever, especially in this highly disruptive market. Disruption is happening in every industry. If you think it's not going to impact you, you're wrong. You look at, for example, here in Calgary and, or in Alberta, so many people thought that $100 barrel oil was here to stay. And look where we are today. It's been heavily disrupted by, you know, shale drilling and some new technology. Every industry is under disruption, and that's good for clients because clients are going to get better services for lower fees. But in regards to your wealth management practice, it, the whole industry is, is under disruption by ETFs, by a new technology. So don't, do not get complacent. Do not sit back and look at harvesting cash flows. If you want to harvest cash flows, sell your practice to a partner and then harvest cash flows that way and have, sell it to a partner that is willing to adapt and grow that practice. And you can participate with that growth. Just don't sit back and harvest that cash flow because I call it slow boiling frog. You'll see that, that practice erode over time and maybe quicker than what you might expect. That's a great, really great piece of advice. So thank you for sharing that. So Martin, if anyone wants to get a hold of you, just some questions about so just independent side and how to be and, and stay and thrive on the independent side, how would they do that? What's the best way to reach you right now? You could do so via LinkedIn. Just uh, look at my, pull up my LinkedIn profile and, and send me a, a message that way or via email. My email is martin.peltier.com. P-E-L-L-E-T-I-E-R at trivestwealth.com. Happy to talk to, you know, advisors who are looking at, at maybe restructuring a business, clients you know, or people that are looking at, you know, what does it mean? What does goals-based benchmarking mean? You know, I'm a firm believer that we all have to work together to make this industry better. And collaboration is the key to doing that. Awesome. Martin, thanks for very much for coming on the show and providing so much value. Awesome. Thank you for having me. 
that's it for this episode. If you enjoyed it, I would really appreciate if you left us a great review in iTunes because that helps us get discovered. And if you want to get in touch with us, please email podcast at snapprojections.com. Thanks, and I'll talk to you next time.